Today's new scripture reading, New Testament scripture reading, is from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn, where he took, where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three words, three, would you say the neighbor to the man and who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. This morning, you know, um, it's a perfect example. The way that Devin just prayed for us and with us is a kind of prayer that would not have been appropriate for pagans at the time that these stories are happening. At the time of Jesus' life, uh, the pagans had very strict rules for their prayers in their temples. And they actually had people who would police the prayers of the people while the service was going on. So in the pagan service, you'd have these monitors that would stand around the room. And if they didn't like the way that one of the prayers was going, they would give you the, give you the hook. You know, and they would pull you over and say, now you're not doing that right. You're not reading the right script. Because, of course, their gods were very picky, and they had to have it just a certain way. And so the Christians come along, and they are, you know, so many of them are uneducated, and, you know, the average person can't read or write. And Christians are, are continuing in this tradition of, of Jewish prayer where they're uh, able to just stand up and pray uh, whatever it is on their heart and make their needs known, making our requests known to God. And it was very refreshing for the world to see, oh my goodness, these people pray like they're actually talking to a God that they can relate to. And that was part of the, the draw of people into the churches. They thought, man, this, these people pray uh, like they actually have this relationship with the God that they're talking to. And so um, anyways, just a little side, we see that in the, in the interpretation of the story today. But, you know, we all, um, we all throughout our lives learn and we develop 
what I'm going to call a purity holiness matrix for the way that we live. And this is at its core a very good and proper thing. One of the reasons that we tell our children fairy tales and then we read stories to our kids is because we want them to develop a moral sense, right? We want them to develop a moral framework where they can deduce right and wrong and good and evil and all this stuff. And so we have to develop that framework or else we just, we don't know. We're just feeling lost all the time. But as we look, as we develop our, our moral, our purity, holiness matrix, sometimes we can get a little, oh, what's the word? We can get a little overly critical and we can get a little bit of my way or the highway. We can get a little bit of I, you know, me, 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 and the whole bit. Y'all know what this is like. Good intentions, uh, but over time, these things can change. So the goal of developing a purity holiness matrix is, of course, life is that we all might live together and be faithful. Um, but sometimes, of course, our holiness matrix is shaped by things other than the scriptures and by Christ in the church, but shaped by things like, in my case, and in many of our cases, people like, say, Hank Williams Jr., right? So you get kind of this thing in your head, and I'm thinking part of my holiness matrix growing up as a kid was a country boy can survive. And, and that's a fine song and everything, but if you think it's really not a very good holiness purity matrix because it's like this. We say grace and we say ma'am, and if you ain't into that, we don't really care. Um, it's, right? And so uh, it's, it's like, it's this thing where we learn to develop, like I have my rules, and if you're not into that, then that's fine, but you can go you know, you can go have fun by yourself. You're not welcome here. Uh, I was shocked when I went to seminary. I was around people from New Jersey and all over the place that not everyone uses polite manners like we do down here. And I just thought, like, what? What, what do you mean you don't say good morning? And they'd be like, there's nothing good about this morning. Like, it's raining. Sh shut up, Strebeck. You know, you dang Texans are always trying to be polite. Uh, so, you know, we have our little things that we carry that may or may not be, uh, you know, biblical or truly holy. They're just things that we prefer. Uh, so, if I'm being honest, and I, I love in the story that Jesus uses a Samaritan, which for his audience would have been the enemy. And I don't know what it's like to grow up in a war-torn area. You know, if you grow up in Palestine and you, you get bombed all the time, you're going to have a certain feeling for the people that are bombing you. Like that, I know that I know there's some real places people grow up where that kind of thing is there. If you grow up in apartheid in Africa, and I mean, there are people that you grow up just thinking those people are purely evil. There's nothing good that comes from them. Uh, we, we don't, you know, we haven't experienced something like that in our part of the world uh, in, in my lifetime. But I have developed, and if I'm honest, there are certain kinds of people who do certain kinds of things, who hold certain kinds of beliefs that drive me absolutely crazy. And you can make your own list, right? Jesus is using one group, the Samaritans. I don't even need, I can, I can go so far beyond one group that it's not funny. That's how uh, awful I can be in my purity holiness matrix. I can make a list way longer than just one group of people. But it's people who do this and people who like this and people that I just flat out don't like to be around. And so uh, it's human nature for us to, as we go through life, a couple of things. The first one is that we learn to define who are the other people. You know, there's us and then there's the other people, right? And we can do this with all kinds of things, the rural versus city preference. You know, it's like, ah, oh, those dang people and 
Austin, you know, those people in New York City, they don't understand. We're just inherently better because we live in rural areas, uh, which, you know, may be true, but we, we do those things, right? We say, well, because I was born in this, I'm in this generation, or I, you know, because I walked to school and I didn't ride a bus or because I rode my horse to school or whatever, we, we you know, we, we, we make these other categories. The other thing that we do in our, with our holiness matrix is we love to win the point. Anyone else love to win the point in a conversation or argument, you know, and you're kind of walking out the door. Yeah. And it's a little bit of a stalemate. And just as you're closing the door and like, Oh, but by the way, I was right. Um, okay. See, see you later. Right. We love, we love to do that. We love to win the point. Well, this attorney, this, this lawyer, not, we got, we got some beloved attorneys in our congregation and we're not going to make any lawyer jokes here, but this is a, this is a teacher of the law who comes to Jesus. He kind of interrupts Jesus. And again, these people are tasked with interpreting the law. This is not an easy job. And so they spend their lives trying to sort out what is good and what is the proper interpretation of the law. And so um, this guy approaches Jesus. He interrupts Jesus. And Luke's telling us the story. He says, behold. And when, when the scripture writers use the word behold, it means pay attention. It means wake up. It means there's, this interruption is important. And so we get behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. And so we get, you know, this, this guy's trying to win the point with Jesus. He's listening to the teaching and he's like, I think I can get a point over on this guy because I'm pretty good understanding the law after all. And I want to, I want to kind of throw this out there and I want to show the community how good I am. So, Hey, Jesus, by the way, and Luke tells us he's trying to win the point, right? He's trying to put Jesus to the test. So he says, Hey, teacher, uh, you're, you're such a great teacher. Uh, surely, you know, what should I do to inherit eternal life, right? How do I make sure that I'm alive in the afterlife, right? In the next epoch, how can I be alive? How can I live forever, right? We all want to live forever. You tell me how I can do it. And uh, Jesus says, instead of answering his question, he says, well, what's written in the law? I mean, how do you read it? What's your take on it? And then the guy, that's all he needs to say, well, I mean, i I do kind of know the law. So, uh, and he answers properly. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He summarizes the commandments of God. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. If you do this, you will live. So he's saying, you've got the right answer. There's a difference between knowing it and doing it. So if you do it, you're going to live. But then the guy just can't leave it alone. You know, he can't just say, okay, I got to go learn to do that. He says he wants to justify himself uh, like, like we all do. And he says, okay, well, um, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but help me draw the lines on what exactly is my neighbor. So who, do, who would you say is my neighbor, Jesus? In other words, are there people that can, I can exclude from loving? It would be more convenient, uh, by the way, if I could just kind of make a list of my neighbors, maybe just the ones that live on my street. I live on a short street. So if I could limit it to just my actual neighbors, like that's a short love list, that would be helpful. Uh, so we're always looking to make that list. You know, how, how can I do this? And uh, Jesus replies, as Jesus does, with a story. And Jesus tells a story. This is the first kind of parable that we get in this journey from where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And so as we're on the road with Jesus, this is maybe the quintessential on the road story because Jesus turns around and says, well, there was this guy and he was on the road. And guess what happened to him? So he tells the story of a guy who's on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's on his way down. He's not only down like down the road, but he's down in elevation. So Jerusalem was like close to Sweetwater elevation. And then you're going to walk down to Jericho, which is below sea level. So you're dropping 25 
100, 3,000 feet. So you're on your way down, 15, 17 miles, something like that. So there, the guy's walking down. He saw this guy's on his way down, and uh, he gets mugged. The evil of the world, the violence of the world overtakes him. These guys, they beat him up. They take his clothes. They take everything he's got. They just mug him, and they leave him for dead. They leave him in the ditch over there on the side of the road. Just, you know, you picture your farm to market road, and there's this guy. He just gets kicked out and dumped. And so, you know, this is a bad deal. The story starts out bad, and Jesus tells him that, well, there's some people that come by that would have had a chance to help, you know, and they're, they're likely people. They're people that know the law just like you do. And uh, one's a priest, you know, it's the pastor. And he's on his way from Jerusalem from worship, and he's on his way home, and he's, he's had the worship service, and now he's going home to relax for the afternoon and watch some football. And he sees the guy, and he keeps on driving. You know, he keeps on going. He just passes by on the other side. That's okay, because there was this, you know, this good Baptist deacon that comes along, and he's leaving church too, uh, but he's used to serving and doing stuff, and that's right up his alley, but he sees the guy, and he's got things cooking too, so he sees him, and he passes by on the other side, kind of slinks over in the ditch on the other side. But, and so Jesus is like, as he's telling the story, he's like, let's talk about people that know the law, but don't do the law, right? So he's saying, you, you know the law, but now it's important that you do the law. So here's a priest, and here's a Levite, and here's a worship attendant. They know the law. Let's see if they do it. And so, of course, Jesus is saying in the story, they missed the boat. They missed the opportunity to do the law, to act the law. And so, but in verse 33, a Samaritan... Right, unlikely enemy, wrong category, New York City, whatever, whatever category you want to put. If you're a Republican, this is a Democrat. If you're a Democrat, this is a Republican. Uh, you know, just whatever. If you love Fox News, this is CNN. If you love CNN, this is Fox News. This is this is the opposite of who you would expect. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he did the same thing. He saw the guy too, but when he saw the guy. The scripture says he was moved with compassion. And this phrase moved with compassion is just one big word. And it's, it's this innermost burning that we get sometimes when, so, when this overwhelms us and we begin to sense compassion for somebody. The only time that Luke has told us this previously is speaking about, guess who? Jesus himself where Jesus has moved with compassion for somebody. So this unlikely Samaritan figure in the story is moved with compassion for the guy who's down on his luck, just like Jesus. He's moved with compassion, and so he takes action. So instead of the Jewish guys that knew better, that knew the law, instead of them keeping the law, it's this Samaritan who ends up keeping the law. And he's not even required to, but he keeps it anyway. So he goes to the guy and he gathers him up. It's this beautiful scene. He binds up his wounds. He pours oil, right? He brings healing. He gives him wine. And then he sets him on his own animal, right? He puts him in his own vehicle and he takes him to a place where he can stay the night. He takes him to an inn and he takes care of him. And then the next day, he takes the economic risk of saying, here's two days wages you take care of the guy, and if his bill runs higher, I'll be back next week and I'll pay it, right? That's, that's big-time risk, uh, open to swindling and all kinds of stuff. He says, I'll be back, and if he runs up a bigger bill than two days, I'll pay it. 
and he's, he's leaving him in good care. And so Jesus finishes the story, and he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And of course, the guy, there's no point left to win, and he just says, well, the one who showed him mercy. He can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan because he doesn't want to say that. You know, he just says the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, okay, that is true. You go and do likewise. And so it's fascinating to me that, you know, Jesus, he, he gets a question from the lawyer and he doesn't even really answer the question. You know, the, the lawyer's question is, who is my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't answer the question, who's my neighbor? He answers the question, what kind of neighbor should you be? Which is a totally different question. And so Jesus says, the, you know, we don't have to make, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about like when I work with young couples and we, make, we, we learn how to make a budget, you know, and, and, and sometimes we in our mercy, we make mercy budgets, you know, we make budgets on how we only, we have a limited amount of mercy we feel like to give. And so we make a budget and we're only going to spend it in certain ways. And that's how we tend to think. And Jesus flips that on its head and he says, no, the answer is not who you show mercy to. The answer is, what kind of person will you become? Will you become a person who's full of compassionate mercy? And then, and then from there, it hardly matters if we define the categories because you're just going to show mercy to who you will show mercy. And you won't be able to be in anyone's presence without showing mercy. And so Jesus turns it from what little things can I do to what kind of person can you become? And that's what Jesus is doing in this whole story and this whole road is he's like, we've got to become a different kind of people. And the good news is we don't do that on our own. We don't have to bring our own transformation. We don't have to try harder. We don't have to read 20 more books. We don't have to figure it out. We simply have to become the kind of people who are in proximity to Christ such that as he is moved with compassion, so are we moved with compassion when we encounter the needs of the world. And I think the really good news for us to remember as we're exploring what it means to be a compassionate, merciful kind of person, a person who's transformed by compassion, the really good news is we all recognize compassion because if we remember, we, we remember that we have been shown compassion. Because if you read the story, you can't help but remember the times that we have been in the ditch too. You know, we may not have gotten robbed and mugged and beaten physically, but we've all been in the ditch. We all know what it's like to be over there and feel like people were walking by and they just turn the other way and go, well, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. We've all been in the ditch. Even in the ways that other people may never know, we know what that's like. And it's in those moments that Jesus is like the Good Samaritan, right? He comes and finds us. You know, and he doesn't just you know, pat us on the back and send us on our way, but he, he gathers us up and he takes us to a place where we can be healed. And then he brings us where there's this broad space where we can live. So if we are well acquainted with the times that we've been in the ditch, it's going to be more natural for us to want to be transformed into the kind of people who notice people in the ditch. So may we experience the healing of Jesus anew. May we drink the wine that he pours for us. And as he credits our accounts with grace, may we live.
And may we likewise go and do and show mercy. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.